Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Playing us in, and you are listening to the Sneaky Good Podcast. I am your congenital host, Poser, with always Chris Turner behind the board, making me sound a little smarter than I actually am. <laughs> I'll do what I can. Actually, a lot smarter than I actually am. Let's 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 be honest. Uh, we have a full boat tonight. We also have Seth. Bonjour. Trying to give us a little bit of French Canada there, and coming from just below the Mason Dixon line, Jake. Hello, hello. And it is actually game week. Yay. So we Yay. So it's no longer just preview of the season. This is the Georgia State podcast for us. Where Georgia we'll Southern. only talk Georgia Southern. I just did it right <laughs> off the bat. Look at that. We're gonna have I'm gonna have a swear jar where I where I call Georgia Southern Georgia State. I was saying before, like one of my best friends went to Georgia State. So and also uh, growing up in Maryland, Lefty Drizel was the head coach of Maryland. And when he got, you know, Maryland put on probation, he went to Georgia state. So I've always followed their basketball program. So it is weird for me to say Georgia Southern and which is of course a totally different school that can actually play football instead of basketball. So I'm going to have to have like a little jar that I throw stuff in there. And I appreciate that everybody just jumped on that one, like a loose fumble. <laughs> I, mean, I, w- I was waiting to see if it was a bit, but like, Obviously, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it's just uh, I'm I'm so wired to to say uh, Georgia State, but of course, it is Georgia Southern who won ten games last year. So you know, actually a good football team. Yeah, not to be taken yeah, lightly. They're they're clearly a good football team. I don't know if they really played anybody last year. I hate to be the I hate to be the the who have they played guy, but I think besides Clemson in the out of conference was South Carolina State. And then you have the Sun Belt schedule, which uh, is a Sun Belt schedule. So, <laughs> I mean, they, well, they are a Sun Belt team, so right, they're... exactly. Jake, the Sun Belt had three ten-win teams last year. I wonder how many other programs, or how many other conferences, I should say, rather had that many. App, App State, and they were all in the same uh, division: App State, Troy, and Georgia Southern. And we know that Troy's pretty good. <laughs> So perhaps, so perhaps we shouldn't be throwing too much shade at the Sun Belt, should we? <laughs> Chris, kick us off on this one. We're going to get into the deep dive onto Georgia Southern's offense. And I said Georgia Southern that time, so in your face. Yeah, the, uh, the highlight, I, th- I guess, of uh, Georgia Southern is that they run the triple option, which is unusual across most of college football, but makes sense in light of the kind of players – a school like Georgia Southern being as small as it is, not having the great facilities that your Power Five conferences are going to have typically. 
they have to have a, a scheme that's going to work for them. And so uh, they've been running the triple option pretty much ever since they restarted football in the 80s. They had football going into World War II, and with the war effort, they, they canceled football. And after the war, they never started it back up. It wasn't until the 80s that they got it going back again, and they've been running the triple option pretty much nonstop. The few seasons they have not run the triple option were the seasons they had losing records. So that was rather interesting. And Terry Harvin, who's the uh, Georgia Southern color man for their radio football broadcast, says that Georgia Southern's been doing RPO long before that became a thing in football. They just called it the run-pitch option. So they're the trendsetters, really. It would appear so. So I know, Seth, you have uh, broken down some of the film on Georgia Southern. You've written a bit about it on the site. Should be be worried about this team that has been a trendsetter since the 80s on the triple option. Well, I think it's, I mean, at the end of the day, we, you know, we have better players than them. So no matter what type of offense that they could be running, we have better athletes than them on the defensive side of the ball. So, like, that's probably the biggest deal, right? That I mean, we shouldn't discount that no matter what type of offense they run. But with that said, yeah, they do run the triple option. It is different than probably the triple option offense that you think from Navy and Army and Georgia Tech, or old Georgia Tech. Yeah, those um, offenses they're doing are really it... more traditional wishbone, and that's definitely not what Georgia yeah. Southern runs. Right, exactly. So that's, you know, those, those offenses are three backs in the backfield all the time. The, the fullback and the two wings is really a three-back offense where Georgia Southern will give you a lot of different formations. So sometimes they will have three backs in the backfield. Like in, um, I don't know what to call it, but like a, I, I don't want to say power eye because that's something else, but it's like a, it's a long eye from the gun. So there's this quarterback. A the long back, eye, okay. <laughs> yeah, a quarterback, a running back, a running back, and another running back all in a line. So it's like a four-man line. And then they'll, and then they can kind of do a bunch of different stuff out of that. So that that was a cool formation that I saw, um, and they just they'll get into the same type of formations, but they'll do it through a lot more motion from outside. So instead of them being wing backs, they'll be slot backs who come in motion, and all that stuff. But the main difference is that they are in a gun at five yards rather than under center at one yard. And my thesis was that this is a harder way to pull an upset because of how deep they are. And the main difference, I said, is how fast the dive hits. So on the triple option, obviously there's three phases, right? You have the dive, the keep, and the pitch. The dive is one that, you know, if we, if we think about the flexbone offenses, it's when the fullback, or the wishbone, it's when the fullback, it's the first mesh. So right there, like behind the guard, that's the dive, and then the quarterback is the keep. If he were to keep it and run it, he's the keep, and then he can pitch it. That's the third phase to a receiver, to a slot, whatever. It doesn't matter who. So what happens is when you're under center is the fullback is now about three yards away, and he's coming downhill fast. So you're getting to the line of scrimmage in a, in a kind of a in, – in, in you're, you're as fast as you possibly can, really. So the line, all they're kind of doing is kind of washing people and just kind of getting in people's way. 
And what you're trying to do is just run that ball right inside of that unblocked defensive end or outside linebacker, whoever, however the defense is set up. And because it hap- the, you know, the ball hits so fast, that defensive player doesn't have a lot of time to, to react to it. So if he's not screaming down the line of scrimmage, you hand that ball off and you get three yards before anyone's kind of reacted to it and you kind of kind of squeeze it inside and then bounce it outside to the same side where the, the rest of the run is going. And when you're in the gun, the issue is, and, and it's also the way that Georgia Southern runs it and, and teams have kind of done different things with gun runs uh, over the years too. But the way Georgia Southern runs it is it's more of a, what we see all around college football, it's a zone running play and it's a zone read running play. So the quarterback is still reading the end like he would in the regular flexible and triple under center triple option. But now he's handing the ball off. If you were to hand the ball off on the same read, now the running back is running a zone run. And the issue with that, I feel, is if you're going to run a zone run, then you got to have an O-line who can block a zone play. And if they can do that against Sunbelt teams, that's great, good for them. And clearly it works because they want 10 games and the offense uh, you know, runs pretty smoothly in those games. Tougher to do when you are outmatched physically, and they will be uh, on Saturday against the LSU. So that was kind of my thesis about how it just takes a lot more time for that play to develop, and therefore you're putting more on the plate of the offensive line rather than just that dive hitting into open space. So essentially the shotgun, the, the fullback has to make up that ground. So and yeah, every, exactly. every step he takes is a step that the defensive lineman can take, and that's a second or so that the offensive line has to hold. So it's a less effective dive play. And also you lose some of the uh, deceit of it because part of the reason the dive play works is because you're suppo- you're going to the outside so much, everyone's reading outside, and their first instinct is to get wide because you don't want to get beat to the sideline, and it opens up the middle. And that's probably not going to happen against LSU's defensive tackles. Right, exactly. And what happens with when, when the run is done from under center, like I was saying, like you said, if you play just a tad outside, if you're the defensive end and you, for that split second, you don't make a move inside to tackle the fullback, it, it's over. Like he's, he's right down your throat without you even thinking about it. But with, when in the gun... And, you know, a lot of teams do this just on against te- when they play against teams that uh, are just a regular, you know, college offense, zone read, that type of stuff. They'll have the defensive end who's being read, what they call squeeze or shuffle or surf. There's a few different words. But he's kind of just, you know, he, he's just shuffling down. And then he's kind of waiting for his eyes to tell him who has the ball. You can do that now that Georgia Southern is in the gun and he and that defensive end especially with the talent that we'll put out there on the edges they can kind of play both and because that ball doesn't hit that quickly you know if the ball is handed off and you and you're shuffling then you just turn and, and tackle the dive if not redirect and find the quarterback so it, it, it puts things makes things a little 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 bit easier on um on LSU, but again, it's because LSU can dominate on the D line that I think it, it makes things a little bit easier. Yeah, because if you look down their roster, I don't think any of their players clear 300 pounds. 
there's a couple of guys listed at 300, but I'm going to say that's the uh, media guy lying to us. If a guy's listed at exactly 300, he's probably not not 300 pounds. So, and <laughs> these days, offensive lines just weigh on average over 300 pounds in the SEC. Yeah, they're just physically not as big. Yeah, as, and they're, they're veterans. And, if I'm not mistaken, they they all return a bunch of uh, third and fourth year guys. I just you know when I watch them play against Clemson's D-line, and I understand, yes, Clemson had such a great D-line last year, but at the end of the day, is there... LSU's D-line, is, that's as good as a D-line as you're going to get in the country this year. So it's not going to be that much different them going against LSU's compared to Clemson's last year. To me, this is very much like in high school if you had like a 5A team playing a really good 2A team. I mean, the 2A team is really, really good, but they just don't have the athletes just because they have a smaller pool to, uh, to draw from. So even though Georgia Southern's a really good team, they have a very good shot to win the Sun Belt again. Their offense clearly works. It works for them. This is probably going to be a long day or a long evening for them. Yeah, I think so too. And obviously it would be nice if we can score some points early. I mean, they won't get out of it because they won't, they won't start throwing the ball just for the sake of throwing it if they're down because – at the end of the day, they they know who they are, and they kind of have to understand that they're not. Um, it, it's a long shot. They're a long shot. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. So I don't. No. I don't. All of a sudden, changing their style up and trying to throw. They're going to be running this thing. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. They might Does, throw uh, six passes the whole game. Do either of you think there's any chance of them pulling like an Army versus Oklahoma, where you know Army is physically outmatched by Oklahoma, but they were able to dominate the time of possession, draw that game out, even force overtime, which was kind of shocking last year. They eventually lost, but but Army gave Oklahoma all they could handle just because they ran their offense, they ran it well, and they could control the clock. They went on these 10-minute drives. Is there any chance Georgia Southern can do that? I'm going to say no, sort of just for the reason Seth has said. I don't think they run the kind of offense to do that. Army is the, as we've said, classic wishbone triple option where they're just going to run it down your gullet and run the play clock down to five and then run it down your gullet again. So, yeah, I think Georgia Southern, I just don't know if they run the type of option that's going to be successful for that. And also, there's a big difference between Oklahoma's defense and LSU's defense. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's the big up. one. It's just, hey, Army is... I mean, Army's a really, really, really good team. Like, no disrespect to Georgia Southern, but Army was a top 25 team last year. They were a really, really darn good football team, especially at running the option. And Oklahoma's defense last year was abominable. I mean, not even by, like, <laughs> Oklahoma standards, like, just by college football standards. Yeah. And, and, and LSU's defense is obviously might be the number one defense in the country. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. And another big concern for Georgia Southern is that they lose two their two leading rushers from last season who are running backs. We're both seniors. Wesley Fields rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. Shy Wirtz was their number two rusher. He's the quarterback. He'll be back. But their number three rusher was also a senior running back, Monteo Garrett. He rushed for 515 yards. He's not – you know, obviously he's a senior, so he has graduated. So they're going to be relying on – the guys who were the depth last year. Yeah, I mean, for them, the nice thing is that the quarterback does return, and he's probably 
you know, at least going to this year, their best player. So that that's going to help them. You know, he'll make the right decisions with the ball, and he's a he's a very good athlete. He takes a bunch of sacks, though. So once we do get him into these third and and at least medium plus situations, it's bad. They can't. He he can move around, but he can't really make great decisions, and they cannot protect him at all. Uh, once they get into these situations, so that would be. Um, good for us to get them in those situations and have negative plays on 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 first and 10 would be great and i think that's what i you know i saw coach o's um press conference he said he said two things were important getting turnovers because georgia southern does not turn the ball over ever i don't think that's really possible because they just don't throw it enough and you can't really bank on fumbles happening but the second thing he said is is getting them off schedule on first and 10 that is as key uh, in this game as can be on defense. And also one of the big things that LSU is looking for from just their own team building standpoint is they're looking for a pass rusher to emerge. Divinity was good last year, but he only had five sacks. So it's not like he was just an unstoppable presence rushing the quarterback. So this is a game where should we expect to see like, this is the coming out party for chase on where he's going to get multiple sacks setting him off on a season where he's going to get into double digits. Does he need that big game? I'm, I don't think so, just because he won't get the opportunities. Because, okay, they he takes a sack. Like, Shywitz took a sack once every five dropbacks, if I'm not mistaken. But at the same time, like, sometimes the, the O-line would just let the three-tech just run into the backfield. So you don't know who's going to get the sack because they don't know who they're going to block on certain plays. So I don't know if it'll be Chasen or it'll be uh, Fahoko, it'll be Lawrence. Like, if someone's not going to be blocked, and they're the ones who are going to get the sack. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a lot of chasing off the edge and working the tackle and working the tackle and working the tackle. It'll be – what I saw was a lot of miscommunication on the whole yeah, line. So, a lot of miscommunication. Yeah, so we're not really looking for – if a guy doesn't have a big game having a bunch of sacks, don't worry. It's all, Yeah, you're also right. This is a team, just to put it in perspective – in the Sun Belt, they finished last in the Sun Belt with 117 pass attempts. In, <laughs> in the, they, they throw it eight times a game. Yeah. Like, if you yeah, get sacked once every five dropbacks, you have like <laughs> one in a half chances to actually get a sack. Yeah, 117 attempts in 13 games is not much. So, yeah, this and is even not... If, even if you were thinking like, oh, maybe against like, say, Clemson, they maybe threw it a bit more because they were forced into like more passing situations. Though against Clemson, they threw it nine times. And one of them, if I'm not mistaken, was a receiver throw. So yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, they were opening and it for, up there for forty yards, one for one for forty yards. Yeah, that's how they scored their only touchdown. Is they got down to the one yard line with a receiver throw. But that, but you know, that's the type of stuff we gotta we got. Yeah, to. no, I agree. And if and if if the offense is not clicking, and it's a close game, because in that Clemson game when he throws it down to the one yard line. They run a trick play. They get it down to the one they score. It's already like 28 to nothing at that point. But if for some reason it's only 10 nothing, for some reason it's only 14 nothing late in the game, that's when it, it, you know, that would be a little scary. Now, have you broken down any film on their defense or is it where you just look at the offense? I don't want to. I, I was put just you looking the at the offense. I, I do know they have a pretty good corner. But uh, yeah, I just saw the offense. Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot on any film study on them. And honestly, this is something, what are we expecting out of the LSU's offense? Uh, Coach O, 
in his preseason press conference says the base offense is the 11 formation. Do we believe him? Yeah, I, I think that's where football kind of is right now, so I'm happy to hear that. It'll be interesting to see which tight end is that one, uh, if it's Sullivan or uh, Thaddeus Moss, at least to start the game. Right. I'm sure they. Ha- I'm sure they have personnel groupings where they're both in the game, but I think that'll be something that I'm looking for right right off the bat. Yeah, I don't think there'll never be a two backs in there or two tight ends. It's going to be situational. But uh, Jake, what do you think is going to be success for this offense in this game? I, I just think. I mean, I guess it sounds cliche, like just executing it. Just you know, right. I mean, this is a new offense to some degree. This is you know. Most of these guys that, you know, I mean, have not run kind of a true spread offense. And if this is what they're calling, if this is, you know, I mean, a real full out kind of spread, hurry up, no huddle kind of offense, run it well. Run it as it should be run and just execute it. That's really all there is to it. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to like put like any like numbers on it. Like Joe Burrow has to throw for 350 yards or this thing is a disaster. What Run I would like stuff to and score points. I mean, that's kind of yeah. What I would like cliche, to see is Miles Brennan. Yeah, I want us to be in a position where Miles Brennan gets a meaningful minute, which theoretically is possible against Georgia Southern. Yes, you would hope so, but that was a big thing last year. Like you wanted LSU to blow out a team so the backup quarterback could actually play some. I mean, that's one of the reasons you schedule a body bag game, right? And I think on the. Um... I was listening to a, a different LSU podcast, but one of the things that was brought up was <laughs> was how Georgia Southern has trouble scheduling teams, even as punching bags, because of the offense they run. And so you want to see Miles Brennan, but if Georgia Southern is taking a lot of time off the clock, LSU could be executing at 100%, but the score might only be 24 nothing. And then, it, and then it's up yeah. to, to O to decide, okay, is 24 enough that I put in the backup? I mean, it, it is, but at the same time, you don't want to be that guy who puts in the backup and then they score and then they come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's if, it, if, if this was a, a fast-tempo game against a, a team that was going fast-tempo that, but that just wasn't as good as us and we could get to 45 or even 35 and put Brennan in, that's obvious. But I think that's where the Georgia Southern thing would have me a little nervous about seeing Miles Brennan. I hope so. Cause I yeah. think even at 21, nothing you're okay, but you I never know. So. Yeah. I, I would like to see him in the fourth quarter. I'm not expecting him to start the second half. I don't think it's going to be like, well, what Clemson is doing to Georgia tech tonight. What Justin McMillan is doing to Florida international. No, that's the guy I want to see come off the bench, okay, t- on Saturday is Justin McMillan. I mean, I hope they play like – I want to see a lot of guys play. The, I guess kind of the talking point of – one of the talking points besides, you know, oh, this is a whole new LSU offense and Joe Brady and all that is that this is an offense with a lot of options. And so let's see them. Joe Burrow said that they might play like eight wide receivers. I don't know if they'll actually play eight wide receivers, but – I want to see, you know, I want to see every running back. I want to see Price and Emery and Edwards Elair, obviously, and Fournette even get carries. Just 
Right. You want to see this, if this is your if this is the calling card of this is going to be the calling card of your offense is that you have lots of options and that you trust that you can get the ball to anyone. Then let's get the ball to anyone. You know. Let's right. See. You want to see how they're going to manage. How are you going to manage these multiple touches? Yeah. How are you going to get everyone involved? At least what's the what's the plan? So obviously you're not going to see everything, but on the same time, we're, I don't think LSU is going to be completely vanilla. Georgia Southern's good enough that you have to run real, you know, run a real offense to beat them. Yeah, and, and like I said, the and, corner the corner can play. Uh, like it's an NFL corner who's who's out there who's going to be covering. You know, I don't know what their defense is like, but you know he'll be covering. Let's say. Uh, Justin Jamar Jefferson, Chase. or yeah. probably Jamar Chase, because I think Jamar Chase is going to play more outside. Right. Yeah, yeah I so. think Jefferson is going to play in the slot, so. Yeah. But All right, I, well. I hope, I hope they do, like, even though it is a body bag game, it's, I think that was kind of been one of the things, my sort of issues with OSU offense, it's not to belabor the pass or anything, but that sometimes they just got a bit too, like, vanilla in some of these games. You know, against kind of body back teams. Where oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Where it's just nursing it along. And it's like, look, I get it. We don't want to get guys hurt. And, you know, you don't want to put six or something points on them. But it's like, but run your offense. There's no need to, like, I, I don't think you benefit from just making it so vanilla and just kind of like nursing it along. Yeah. Get you shouldn't be running. You should run not be offense. running out the clock in the third quarter. If yeah. the reason you're playing this game is so guys can have live action. So exactly. put in the backups and let them try and do something. Yeah, I mean, that's and, kind of the thing with, like, I mean, LSU kind of backup quarterbacks in the past is that they get in the game, but then all they do is just hand the ball off. And it's like, okay, well, if that's what we're doing here, <laughs> you might as well just keep the starter in. Right. I mean, again, uh, I'm not saying, like, oh, we need to, like, just start running, you know, four verts and, like, embarrassing no, no, everyone. But still, like, run the offense. That's, no, you know, they're, what, there is a definite middle ground between the two positions, and I yeah. agree. And LSU I has so, not found that middle ground. Yeah, I want to see. I mean, again, yeah, it's. I'm not saying like just show Texas the entire playbook, but still run the offense, do the entirety of the game. Except you know, maybe I don't know the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, whatever when it's time to go home. But run the offense and run it with Miles Brennan and Leonard Fournette the same as you will with Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Helaire. That's what I hope to see, and if they do that, then they should put up again. I'm not gonna again because it is a triple option offense, and because it also is the first week of the season, so that has its own. And these guys don't get preseason games; that has its own kind of wrinkle to right. it. They should still be getting first downs and scoring touchdowns the majority of the time that they're on the field. No, and that's one of the reasons I like this game. This is essentially the preseason game, and I think one of the things LSU has always done is scheduled a big game first. And it kind of puts a lot of pressure on that first game. It, it's nice to ease in the schedule. I, I actually like this better. Um, playing a Georgia Southern first and then playing Texas. We've got a few kinks. And also, you'll probably get a better game from both us and from Texas next week. Because both teams will have had a chance to work out the kinks. As the, the old cliche goes, the biggest improvement you see on a football team is between the first and second weeks. Right, as opposed to what we saw from Florida and Miami a week ago. That was yeah. game ruled. Exactly. That was bad. <laughs> no, ruled was Arizona Hawaii. Oh yeah, that was that was great too. Let us go to the question bag before we get into picks and a look around the SEC. 
All right, uh, Michael Laurent wants to know, who is the biggest X factor on offense and defense? Jake? Offense, I'll go Jamar Chase. I think he's got the highest, I'll say John Emery of all the guys has the highest like upside talent-wise, but I think of the guys who are going to be featured significantly in this offense. I think Chase is the guy. I think if this offense, I mean, I think I've said this last week, if this offense is going to be what we all want it to be, I think Chase has to be the guy. Um, and so I think he is the X factor. If he isn't, if he doesn't have a great season, I think that probably limits to some degree what this offense does. And I think if he does have a great season, if he emerges as one of the elite LSU wide receivers, um, that I mean, this is a program that does have a long history of great wide receivers. Definitely, you know, at least, I mean, for all the perceptions about the program, there are a lot of really great LSU wide receivers, especially this century. Um, if he can emerge into that level, I think this guy is the limit for this offense. And on the defense, if, I mean, it kind of feels cliche to say chase on, but they need a pass rusher. And again, that's sort of the next level for the defense. And even maybe I could go for a Richard Lawrence even. I think he has been a very, very good player, maybe even great. But I'd, I'd like to see an All-American kind of season out of him. I think he has denim, and I think if he stays healthy, he can do it. And so I think for him, you know, if he can take another step, I think that would also take the LSU defense into another level. I, I think the talking about Lawrence is interesting because if they're not going to play as much of that tight front where they ask Lawrence to play defensive end, but he's not really defensive end, he's really a guard and tackle eater, mm-hmm. and they move him to more of a three-tech where he's going to get one-on-ones with the guards, then he could really show off. And it could be a very different season that we've seen from him uh, than the past two years, where, like you said, he was already very good. But if he's going to get all these one-on-ones, whether it's the run game or the pass game, then he could be he could be special. You have an offensive X factor? Uh, you know, I think I also agree with Chase. From everything we've heard, he's 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 lights out. He's the, you know one of the best receivers uh, that we've that's come here in, in the past couple of years. Uh, I think maybe then I'll, I'll say kind of off the board and Adrian McGee because it looks like he's going to win the the starting guard spot. Okay. You know we weren't sure what was going to happen, so I say Adrian McGee. I really mean kind of the, 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 the gel of the O-line, if they can put it together, I think that'll be a big X-factor for us. I think you're right. The X-factor, I mean, the offensive line is the big question mark on offense. It's if they can't gel, the team's in trouble. That's the, that's the big thing that's holding the team back. And, you know, you hate to say it that way about a whole unit, but that's what we're all nervous about. To put it on a positive spin, I would say the, the X-factor um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I think, really fits the offense. What they're trying to do now, that he's going to be able to catch the ball in the backfield instead of running into fronts. I think we're going to see a very different player, a very dynamic player who can return kicks, catch the ball out of the backfield, run the ball. He could have a ton of yards from scrimmage and you not realize it. So he could be in for a very big season and will probably lead the team in yards. On defense, uh, for me, it's Jacoby Stevens. 
mainly because he's so dynamic. He can play so many different positions. He's a safety. He's a linebacker. He can play nickel corner if you need him to. He's kind of the Swiss Army knife that this defense needs. Um, it's one of the things that Aranda has talked about, that they need this defense to be dynamic and be able to do different things. If you could sum it up in one player, it's Stevens. All right. Michael Lord kind of has a follow-up. He wants to know, who is the biggest surprise depth chart-wise? Right now, I'm still shocked that Phillips is not the starter. Uh, Jacob Phillips not being a clear starting linebacker to me is shocking because I thought he was the best linebacker that was coming back this year. And clearly, either he has fallen off a bit or every other linebacker has completely stepped up their game. And that could be really good news. So I find that to be a really interesting thing. And I'm, I'm taking it the good way because I don't think Phillips suddenly is a bad, not a bad player, but I think it's that other players have stepped up and that speaks so highly of the linebacker core on offense. I, I think we've already said it's that it looks like Adrian McGee has held on for um, the left guard. And also, um, how much, how much O has talked about uh, Badara Traore. It looks like he was kind of the whipping boy, kind of the symbol of the offensive line struggle. seems they have a lot more confidence in him this year. And he's probably going to have a couple starts this year. And I find that to be a very pleasant surprise that he is back in the good graces of the coaching staff. I'll go with Cordell Flott. He seems to be the, of the freshman who came in um, at corner, he seems to be the guy who has the best chance at early playing time. I mean, they all seem to be pretty far along for freshmen, uh, Ray right. Jones, Jay Ward, and Cordell Flott. But Flott seems to be, have really caught the coaching staff's eye. And while it's going to be hard to get playing time in this secondary, obviously, options are good and injuries do happen. And so I wouldn't be shocked if he got some burn you know, early on, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Because if you can co-talk up lots of guys, but if you can get hype to some degree in an LSU secondary, especially in this LSU secondary, I think that's good news. Yeah, and I think what Flott being a capable backup does is they're not, you know, nervous about having to move maybe Kerry Vincent to corner if anyone were to go down. So now they can just bring in Flott, no problem, keep Kerry Vincent in the nickel. You know, he's comfortable there. He can do a lot of things in the nickel. You don't have to, like, redo the whole depth chart, kind of like, you know, what happened right. in, the, in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, so I think, I think yeah, Flott being there and them, them liking him is, is, pretty, is pretty good. And I, I think, yeah, I think you're right with Phillips uh, in terms of the depth chart. Phillips not being a starter is wild. And like you said, I... Is it because Phillips isn't as good? I agree. It's probably not. It's probably because, you know, Queen and Divinity are just that good. And especially Divinity. We've never seen him play inside linebacker before. Like, yeah. That's one of the guys that I'm super interested in seeing right off the bat is, um, is Divinity play in a position that we, that uh, it'll, it'll, for me, it'll look a bit foreign. Yeah. And also, I wish they've talked up Clark. You know, Clark's in the mix. He's, I mean, that's four guys in the inside. Is, probably the biggest position battle on the team right now where you have four guys for two positions and you're comfortable with all four of them starting. Yeah. Now and the, 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 the one thing though, 
is going to be interesting to see how they do line up against Georgia Southern. So Clemson, and obviously they they have similar you know athletes to us. Last year they lined up in in almost like a five one. So you know if LSU were to do the same thing and they really could, it would be you know whoever's starting at nose. Let's say Shelvin at nose. You'd have the two kind of tight ends would be Lawrence and Fajoko. Chase on outside on one as like kind of one edge guy and then kind of like well do you if you're going to play with one linebacker one kind of roaming free linebacker do you now put divinity on the edge and then have queen as the as the roaming guy do you keep queen and divinity inside and maybe take out a safety and then you keep uh as the kind of other edge guy would be if i'm not mistaken ray thornton is yeah, thornton. the yeah, yeah so if he he could be he could be the edge guy because I saw him on the depth chart as a starting as the F backer. Or what? You so could that do, would that would be a position for him, you know. Just to throw it in, what you could do because since you know this is a heavy running team, you're not as worried about the pass. You could put Logan in and move Lawrence to the outside, so you'd have three def- defensive ends on the field, where yeah. Lawrence yeah. would be more the edge would be the edge rusher, and yeah. Logan would have more responsibilities to occupy the tackle and the guard. Yeah, there's exactly, but that's the nice thing about having all these. Those. Yeah, you can go, you can go heavy, you can go light, and I think that's what Aranda wants to do. He wants to have multiple looks, even within one game. I, I think that that's the kind of the cool thing with this defense that it's not just, oh, it's a three-four, or it's you know it's a three-three nickel package. It's not going to be that. He's going to go a lot of different formations within one game because he has options. Yeah. The only thing that, that concerns me is, again, is the triple option stuff where he's, they might say, okay, this is our look this week because it is a little bit of a funky offense, so this yeah. is how we're running it. And assuming uh, assuming everything's kind of going well, we won't, like, change out of it that quickly. Obviously, the week after against Texas, you're going to see a lot of Aranda scheming up some mad right. scientist yeah. stuff. But yeah. yeah, you're not going to see a whole lot of mad scientist stuff against George yeah. Southern. But yeah. You will see a couple of different looks. Yeah, for sure. Well, even like Clemson, like they shifted the line a lot, kind of pre-snap, they would show one look. And then right before the snap, they would shift into a different look just to kind of mess up who Georgia Southern was reading for the option and stuff like that. So that I could see a lot of. And also you want to work on your substitution patterns. You just want to know how you can do it. So against a live opponent, you need to learn how to do that, how to get guys off the field and get in a new package. So... Which, given the amount of time Georgia Southern takes between snaps, should not be a problem. You would think. You would think. Hey, look, I've seen an LSU team get a delay game on a kickoff <laughs> to open a half. So I, We have gotten a delay of game on a timeout that we called. So. <laughs> All right, finally, Jacob Hibbard wants to know, how glad are you we didn't land Philippe Franks? I don't want to badmouth a kid, um, but I'm not a big Philippe fan, Franks fan. Um, I just, I think he's a classic bully kind of player where he racks up big numbers against bad teams and plays small against big teams. But also, God, he has a habit of running his mouth. If you're that kind of player, man, don't don't put the target on yourself like he's done. He's just also just not that good. Like that's what you're saying. Like he's just really not that good. 
So I'm happy that we are going to have Joe Burrow instead of him. Yeah, he's he's a hard guy to root for. So I'm yeah. glad I don't have to do it. Does That's Jake want to kick a guy while he's down? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mind necessarily the kind of trash talking element of him. He likes throwing his mouth. I don't hate it. But, yeah, I think, you know, as, as far as the play on the field goes, I agree. He's, you know, the classic example of the flat track bully who, yeah, you know, puts up big numbers against bad teams and then against good teams just doesn't really kind of raise his game in any discernible way. And so, yeah, I don't think he's a particularly good QB, and I think LSU has a better one. And so, Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to is that. We think we have better. We have a better QB, so we're happy we don't have him because we think Burrow is better. And I think what we'll do is I think that was the last letter, right, Chris? That is correct. Okay. You guys, sorry. Do you guys want a Justin McMillan stat check right now? Yeah, hit me with a Justin McMillan stat check. <laughs> uh, well, Tulane has hold on. Tulane has forty-two points. The game is almost over. Justin McMillan has eight carries for sixty-eight yards and a touchdown plus. He is 14 for 19, 199 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Having a good game. Having a good game. You know, now I know it's the official policy that we hate the Greenies, but I'm happy for Justin McMillan. Yeah, yeah. likewise. Yeah. yeah so um, I don't want to go through every SEC game. Uh, we'll try and do this each week. We'll just kind of look at kind of the bigger games around the, um, around the conference, the ones that are shaping up. But before we get into the big games, the first one I want to talk about, um, Memphis is hosting Ole Miss, which is funny. And on top of that, Memphis is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Who was it? Did Memphis beat an SEC team at home? In yeah, it was, Memphis? Memphis. it was Ole Miss. <laughs> it was Ole Miss, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going back there now. Yeah, they're supposed to be SEC. <laughs> oh, boy. So I – I have this weird thing. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. So when, whenever I see a team on on LSU schedule play before they get to the LSU game. So like last week watching Florida, um, you know, this week, I mean, I won't watch it, but, you know, LA Tech is playing Texas. Yeah. I don't want, even if it's an SEC team that I hate, I don't want them to lose before they play LSU because I want that game to be big. Like I, you know, it's it. Those games are more fun, even as a fan, even from three thousand miles away. Those those are the games you want to watch. You want to see Alabama undefeated when they come in uh, to Tiger Stadium, or we go there. Right. With that said, Ole Miss can lose every game, and I'm cool with it. I mean, four Memphis and a half point dogs. I mean, cover. I, I just I can't put I can't bring myself to the fact that Ole Miss is an underdog to Memphis. That is, I don't want to say how the mighty has fallen, because that makes it sound that Ole Miss at one point was mighty, but man, they, the, the, the probation has cut deep is what I'm saying. And yeah, no, I'm still enjoying it. I was going to say that it's, it's not fun, but no, it's still, oh, it's very enjoyable. <laughs> I think Memphis, you know, I don't know much about, you know, they're changing coordinators again. Like they do every year because, you know, they have such a great offense that some bigger school is going to poach their their coaches. But they're also losing, you know, Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard. 
Henderson, the running back, Pollard, kind of the hybrid slash type player. But I think the thing is, like, they're good. They get a good O-line, and they might still be able to move the ball pretty well, even without those two kind of special running backs against against Ole Miss. Damani Cox, he's a pretty good wide receiver, too. Yeah. Uh, they also have one of the best names in college football, and Joey Magnifico. <laughs> well, now I'm on board, so... <laughs> The over/under on that game is sixty-six. All right. Well, I, mean, I, feel, I feel like all, all of Ole Miss's good offensive players are like gone now. Yeah, I really do. Like, I'm I'm worried about that's that. Cool. I think that's the big thing is they they really did lose a lot from last year, and they weren't good last year. Yeah. So that's yeah. yeah I think all those guys they recruited for years that like even when they sucked, like they were still really good on offense. Yeah, they had some guys. Yeah, I think they're all gone now. It, I, this is the depth. Uh, this is the Nader season. This is as bad as it's going to get for them. And I think the key for Ole Miss is to get through the season, try not to completely lose faith, and rebound from here. So if they can keep, if they can make this a four and seven season, that'll be an incredible victory, because that's not embarrassing. Hell, even three and eight's not that ter- you know not that terrible. But if they start getting into one, if they put up like double digit losses, that's when they have to start worrying because that's when fans start leaving the program for good. They, they could. They only have two gimmies on their schedule. Yeah, there, there's a Southeastern Louisiana and New Mexico State. Other than that, they're, they're out of conference. Other out of conference games are at Memphis and then home to Cal, who. As blasphemous as this may be to seem for LSU fans, might have the best secondary in the country. Yeah, Cal. Yeah, yeah. Cal's got some good. players. So, so yeah, yeah. Like, o- Ole Miss needs some gimmies, and they don't have gimmies on their schedule. And yeah. I, this Memphis game is huge for them. So, a sneaky important first uh, week one game for Mississippi. Also, out of conference, South Carolina is playing North Carolina. I always enjoy the Battle of the Carolinas. Uh, Mac Brown returns to where he made his name, but South Carolina is a team that has a very low um, over/under win total in Vegas, and I don't understand why. I think South Carolina is a pretty—they were a pretty good team last year, and they return a lot of talent. It's uh, the schedule. Offense. Yeah, the schedule is brutal. Yeah, I, I mean, you play one, I, two, I, I, I and think three. Get to seven, but. Like, I, I do think they'll get to seven wins. But, yeah, they play Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Florida, at A&M. I think that A&M game for them is huge. Uh, yeah, South Carolina, a- I think, is one of the, uh, to do some branding, the sneaky good team, which, God, that's a kiss of death because sneaky good is, you know, meant to be ironic. Um, yeah. But I, I really like this South Carolina team. I don't think they're going to win the SEC or anything. But I think a lot of people are sleeping on them. And yeah, I like them too. I think they have a real shot against North Carolina to make an early statement of like, hey, we're we're a pretty darn good team. I, I think they are a pretty good team, but that same team could go seven and six. Yeah. Just because. Yeah, they, good year. That's not... yeah, they have A&M schedule. So. Yeah. And I mean, they have a good senior QB. And if you have a good senior QB – I think I think that's one of the things I really like their you know I really like Brantley and also I think they have a deep running back core and they return you know some of their best defensive players you know T.J. Brunson comes back Javon Kinlaw's back 
Uh, J.C. Horn kind of came out of nowhere last year. It's a pretty good corner. I mean, this is a team that can – they return their playmakers, and that's always a good sign. I, I see, yeah, one of my bold predictions was even despite that brutal schedule, I, I do think they'll hit seven wins. And I think they can – I think it kind of turns the narrative around on Will Muschamp, who, well, obviously kind of earned a bit of it from – after the stint at Florida, has done – pretty darn well at South Carolina, which was a completely empty cupboard. He took over. That's true. Yeah. He, like that, that program had nothing. He, he has re- rehabbed his reputation. He And he's done it by rehabbing South Carolina. Yeah. That's been a good team the last couple of years. And I don't think anyone expected them to be. I mean, they won nine games the second year. And that's after they won three games the year before he got there. So yeah, I think they'll have a good year. Like, I, I do think they'll get to a bowl which with that schedule would be a good achievement. And now but it is, it is a tough schedule. Like, I mean, I get why the over under is low when you play the top three teams in the country. Now the uh, biggest game of the sec this week is not ours. I'm sorry. It's not LSU versus Georgia Southern. It is Oregon versus Auburn. And be honest, how much of the Auburn Oregon game are you going to watch instead of the LSU game? I'm going to try and do the double. Yeah. Cause especially since it's not on T like I don't get ESPN. So I'll have it on the, I'll have the LSU game on the laptop and I'll have, uh, Oregon, uh, Auburn on TV. Assuming I'm assuming it's an ABC game or even if not, some channel Canadian channel will pick that one up. It is on ABC. Okay. Yeah. So I'll do the double. And what do you think of that game? I think it's fascinating. I, I'm curious, like, as a quarterback guy, I'm super curious to watch uh, Herbert play against a pretty, pretty good defense to start things off. I want to see where he's at. We'll get a chance to see right off the bat the freshman quarterback that they're starting in Auburn. That's kind of where the game is, I think. You know, freshman quarterback versus senior quarterback. I think it'll just be fun to watch from a quarterback perspective and how good Bo Nix is and, and where Herbert is at this point. The matchup I'm really curious about is Oregon returns uh, four offensive linemen who were all Pac-12 on one of the teams. Um, They weren't all first-teamers, but still four all Pac-12 offensive linemen. And Auburn has arguably the best defensive line in the country. And that is strength on strength up front. And I think that's going to tell the story of the game. And honestly, I don't know. Um, uh, it's, it's hard for any of us to gauge offensive line play without being an expert. And there are even the experts really can't judge offensive line play. But I think that's such an important and a really cool matchup between two of the units who are the best in the country going head-to-head against each other. Yeah, I'm, interested, I'm interested in Herbert, too, because, I mean, you, like, the physical tools are, I mean, obvious. You see why the NFL people, like, rave over him. But he's kind of interesting. I mean, his – his number, like his touchdown interception ratio is phenomenal. He's on 63 touchdowns in 29 games and only 17 interceptions. But his completion percentage last year was sub 60%. Which yeah, was, he kind of fell off a bit last year. Yeah, and he, but he, I mean, he's still 29 touchdowns, eight interceptions is still really good. So I'm curious to see if he puts it all together because I mean, I, I do think the ability is definitely there. As much as I think some of us, college fans like to like roll their eyes at like the big QB who has the big arm because he kind of fits the mold of like 
one of those guys who gets ranked like the number one overall pick before the season by the NFL draft. People never watch college football. I, I do think he has that kind of potential. And and if he is that good, then Oregon can be a legitimate national title contender. Like I think they're the best team in the Pac-12, but I think by that means like they're a nine and three kind of team. But if he is like that good, I mean, in 2019 college football, having one of the best quarterbacks in the country can win you games just like, you know, it can win you games by itself. And so I am curious to see that. I really jumped on their bandwagon last year when they beat uh, Washington and they got to four and one. And I thought, you know, they were a real contender to make the playoff. And then they finished the year like five and three or whatever, including losing to Arizona and Utah. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, well, never mind then. But, like, the Pac-12 is more... I'm interested in seeing if they are more than the... Like, if they're the Pac-12 favorite, and that's just kind of what they are, is that's their ceiling, I think Auburn probably will win this game. But if Oregon is legitimately, you know, a national title kind of level team, then the, this might be a step too far for an Auburn with a freshman QB. Yeah, no, they have to show it. Like, the... For Oregon, this is a huge game. It's a huge game for the Pac-12. They they really need this game. Um, they want to win. It would be a big feather in the cap for a conference that has just taken it, you know, in the shorts, you know, a lot over the last couple of years. So since this is an LSU podcast and everyone outside of the South thinks we all band together, you know, SEC, 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 all that, who are you rooting for? You know the answer. <laughs> That's right. Quack, baby. Quack. <laughs> Death to Auburn. <laughs> well, this might be a good time to remind everyone what happened the last time Oregon played in Cowboy Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Oh. oh. Good times. 2011. Good. Those were great times. The LSU-Oregon game in which our defensive linemen were smacking on the turf, begging the Oregon offensive line to hurry up and snap the football. It was one of the ultimate statement games in a season full of statement games. Yeah. They beat beat Oregon, like, so bad that year that Oregon, like, dropped, like, 10 spots in the poll off the losing to that team and then only lost one game the rest of the year by three points. Yeah, they they ended up number four in the – yeah. Oregon actually sucks. And it's like, no, actually, you know. (laughs) If there was a playoff, they would have been in it. Yeah. Their only other loss was a three-point loss to USC. Yeah, that's how badly LSU beat them down that game. Oh, it was, I, it was fun times. How often do you guys think about 2011? Because I think about 2011 like more than I probably should. Well, I'll, I'll go back and watch the highlights like on YouTube like once every like six months. Um, yeah, too, exactly. For me, 2003 is always kind of the one I go back to because that was after years and years and years and years of suffering glory and it kind of came out of nowhere so for me 2003 will always be the special one i realize the 2011 team was better but when i'm feeling nostalgic i go back a little bit further because it, it meant more to me you um, know i when i'm feeling nostalgic I, I go watch the lsu boom video on youtube i don't know if you know, guys know that one <laughs> uh, but i was watching the fiesta bowl last night um it was being rebroadcast and at one point they said the announcer dropped the factoid that LSU only had five defensive backs still dressed out in the second half. Not five corners, but five defensive backs total played yeah, that game but this, in the but second this is half. What I'm saying. Like, it'll be nice that 
you know, we go into a season where that's not the case with a guy like Cordell Flott, like Jake was saying, and now everyone can just play in their position. Everyone's healthy. We don't have to worry about this, and and we can go play. And and yeah, it was. Yeah. It got bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it was really bad. And yeah, watching Kirkland try to cover was unfortunate. It got yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. It, you can't get mad at the guy. He's a wide receiver trying to cover. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, he he took one for the team, and good for him. I I, I like guys doing that. Honestly, the last wide receiver to do that was uh, Michael Clayton in the 2002 Cotton Bowl, which Texas fans still brag about. And, hey, congratulations. You beat our wide receiver playing cornerback 15 years ago. So we'll get into Texas hate next week. I'm really looking forward to it. But this week, we'll wrap it up. Predictions on the game. And we will start with Jake. Um, I'll go. I think LSU will look great, but... I think the final score, due to you know a couple of reasons, will be maybe a bit closer than some blowouts could be. I do think LSU covers, which the spreads minus twenty eight and a half. So I'll go thirty one. Actually, actually, maybe I'll maybe I'll switch that. Maybe I'll go thirty one six kind of game, something like that. I mean, thirty five seven, something around in that kind of range. So it'll be if LSU doesn't cover, they'll come close. I think. The offense will look good, but won't get enough of the touches to, you know, put up a big kind of wild, you know, 50-something number. But I think they'll score on – I think the starters will score on maybe all of their possessions in the first half. And so – and I think the defense will have a big game. So, yeah, maybe the final score to, like, the people who won't watch it. Like, so on Sunday morning, you know, people looking back, oh, LSU, you know, they were supposed to be great. They only won whatever. It's like, I think LSU will look very good, but maybe the final score won't quite reflected as much Seth yeah, I will I agree that most likely that I think that's what will happen but the optimist in me says that maybe this is finally the year like you guys were talking about where where the offense looks good in, in, in a cupcake game so I'm going to say 45 to 3 I'm with you I think this is the one where I think O has to prove a point I think he wants to prove a point. I don't think he wants to show off the offense. And I, I think he's going to go for those extra points in, in the second half when instead of putting it up on blocks, he's going to kind of try and goose the score a little bit just so not to humiliate Georgia Southern, but to kind of show the fan base, hey, this offense can score points. So I think uh, LSU is going to win this game 45-7 to seven and easily cover. Actually, yeah, now that I, now that I think about it, when I realized 41-31 is only like four touchdowns, I'm like, yeah, that's actually way too low. Yeah, so. I have convinced Jake. Yeah. And on that, <laughs> we will leave it with a go, Tigers. Yeah.